When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is the Big Wednesday podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Maurice, along with Stephen Means. We have a big show for you today covering a lot of topics because we're going to reassess the Ohio State football depth chart coming out of the spring, offense and defense. I posted one back in January. We're going to look back at that. Doug and Steven are going to tell me how wrong I was. This should be a good time for all. And then in the second two-thirds of this podcast, we are going to get into your questions from our texters. 614-350-3315. If you haven't signed up, a bunch of you sent us some really great questions. We're going to talk a lot about the, the quarterback situation. We're going to talk about other things we saw this spring. We're going to talk some basketball. We're going to talk some nonsense. We're covering a lot of ground. We're, we're cramming a lot of things in here as, as football ends for the spring and as we transition into what should be a, an informative offseason. We're going to start with this depth chart. Like I said, back on January 21st, I think it was, so we're almost exactly three months later. Back on January 21st, coming out of the season, I posted a depth chart. My What I guessed the depth chart would be for this fall on offense and defense, or maybe more like what it was right now in my head. And now today, after what we've seen during the spring, we're going to reassess that. How should we do this? We should just start. Should we go right into it? Or do you guys feel like in your minds real quick, has the depth chart changed significantly from where you would have thought it was at the end of January? I could imagine a couple spots where I probably not more than like two or three spots where I would guess it actually changed for sure from what you thought. And then of course, there are things where like, well, you know, by September it might change, but I wouldn't change it now. But I just think we should go through and then like you say, oh, I had this, and then Steve and I just go, wrong! You know, like that's Steven, right? That's what we're looking for. Yeah, I have no problem with that. There's two positions in particular that I think things have changed pretty dramatically, but it's because of a reassessment of things that we couldn't have necessarily fully seen coming then. So let's just do this. Let's start on offense. We'll just start at the top on offense. I'm going to, we're going to, let's just start at quarterback. I had on my original January 21st depth chart, CJ Stroud is a starter, Kyle McCord or Jack Miller behind him. We're going to talk more about the quarterbacks in a little bit because we've got a lot of questions about the quarterback situation. What do you guys think of that three months later i put cj stroud or kyle miller for starter and 
Jack Miller. Kyle Miller. In the backup role. No, uh, wow. I just combined two people. Kyle McCord. You'd put CJ Stroud or Kyle McCord together at one? Yeah. Why? Yeah. We just had a podcast where we all agreed that it's over and CJ Stroud won. That is completely contrary to everything all three of us said. It is. Last time we I were on these back. microphones. I don't think, it, I I don't think we all decided it's over. I think we all decided CJ Stroud is in the lead. Okay. He's yeah. one. There's no or. We did not have an or quarterback conversation. So you have no, changed your mind in the last 24 hours? Yeah, I have. I went back and we watched the spring game again, and Kyle McCord was pretty good. I think uh, I, CJ Stroud was maybe a little bit more consistent, but that upside Kyle McCord showed on a lot of these throws was pretty good. Yeah, no or for me. No, I'm not or in it. But it's your, it's your death threat name. So you have no, to make I would final still – I would still put the same thing down. I think where it, where I do think it might be a little bit off and where we could talk is whether there should still be an or between Kyle McCord and Jack Miller. Cause I think Kyle McCord again, based on what we saw Saturday looks like the guy who should be maybe number two by himself. But I also think that this competition is still ongoing. I think Jack Miller has looked better at other times than he looked on Saturday. And I don't think the whole evaluation comes down to the way they look Saturday. So I, I, but I would still say CJ Stroud goes on a line by himself, not because he's clearly going to win it, but because he is the one that's in front right now. Yeah. We're going to talk yeah. more about the quarterbacks in, yeah. in a yeah. bit, and it's going to delve into some of these things. But I guess that sets the stage. Back. I thought that was going to be pretty easy. I thought we were going to quickly move past quarterback and on to the next thing. Uh, running back. Back on January 21st, I put Trevion Henderson as the starter and Master Teague as the number two. This, to me, is maybe the most still up-in-the-air position, and I think it might be even more up-in-the-air than it was when I wrote that on January 21st. I think if I were doing it today, I mean, I, who would take the first snap in the first game this year, it, this fall? I mean, I think it could be Master Teague. I think it could be Trevion Henderson. Well, I guess I, I'm doing this the wrong way. So that was what I had on January 21st. Trevion Henderson first, Master Teague two. Right or wrong? I hate ores. I don't want to have. I don't want to have thirty-eight ores yeah. in this depth chart over but the next. Couldn't this be a thirty minutes for the first line? But I was. That's this what I was going to say. I think it's this might be a three or a two or three guys two, two, two ores. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very famous video. Three guys two ores. So that is. Uh, that's where I would go. Oof, man. Listen, here's here's where I am. I'm just going to tell you everybody. I'm going to tell you guys where I am because I like to shoot it straight here on Buckeye Talk. We just had a hundred minute meeting about copyright that makes me think I'm going to get sued for everything I do in and out of work yep. for the rest of my life. I have no idea. I just made a fair use parody of a formerly famous video. Maybe. Am I going to get sued because I said it? But I have to make a fair use claim to our company attorney. Because I made a three guys, two wars joke. I'm a wreck. I'm a knot. And the other thing is my daughter wrote and directed a play that is going on tonight. And we are going to watch this play that she wrote that is being performed at her school, that she cast the people at her school and they're putting it on tonight. So I'm a wreck for that. So just take everything I say. It, I, I, I'm, I'm not accountable is that, a, is that fair use? Can I make a blanket? Can I give myself permission to you like tweet it? So you're good. Say yeah, no image. Say slanderous yeah. things by accident for the next two hours. And it doesn't count. Cause I'm, I'm overwrought. All right. Sorry. So that's where I am. 
Fair enough. Steve Three ors. Two ors, though. Two ors. I, I would or Teague, Henderson, Mayan Williams. I would have a two mm-hmm. or three guys all at the top spot if we're actually trying to depth chart it. Yeah, for the sake of this depth chart, it's two ors, and maybe this is a pod later on about who's the first snap of you know the Minnesota game versus who's the first snap of the Big Ten championship. We also – it's a distinction without a difference, which, again, which is what we do, but it's like we're not predicting who's going to start. We're making a depth chart, right? right. So, like, there's mm-hmm. another thing of, like, well, a depth chart, if there's a bunch of ors, it doesn't necessarily mean who's the starter because only one guy can start, but is the playing time equal? Are they viewed equally? Like, that's – or is there a hierarchy? That's what we're, we're – we're getting into hierarchy here, which is not exactly the same as, like – the down and dirty starters necessarily. It's a snapshot in time, which I think is not a cop-out. I mean, the snapshot in time back on January, we'll get to in a second. Well, I'll come back to that in a second. We're almost there. But I I agree with the one I've already written. I've already written up the post about this for tomorrow. And I have the three three people separated by two oars and then Marcus Crowley on the second line if you want to go to a fourth guy, if you want to – but that it starts getting really deep there, and and I don't know exactly how they're going to use that collection of guys. But he looked pretty good in the spring game. So I'm, I'm really curious about how running back shakes out. I'm probably more curious than I was at the start of the spring. Wide receivers, the Z wide receiver. I had Chris Olave on the first line. I had Julian Fleming or Jamison Williams on the second line. You are right for the most part. Yeah, that's – I mean, I might put Jamison Williams at X, but, but I think that Olave is the top line Z and Fleming's second team Z I think is probably right. Yeah. I don't know what to do with Jameson Williams right now, but I also don't know what to do with Julian Fleming if you're taking a snapshot at this moment because he was so limited this spring. So I think I would still probably put the same thing. I think you should. I don't want to over, I th- you know, injuries are injuries. We get it. But I mean, while it's a snapshot, I also don't want to penalize guys too much. I mean, I think we still think he's going to be there, right? Like who else is going to be, who else is going to be the second team Z if not him? I don't have a better candidate. Here's where things get interesting. X wide receiver and slot wide receiver, and I'm going to run through all this together because the whole thing got flipped. Uh, Back on January 21st, I had Jameson Williams as a starting X with Cameron Babb or G. Scott Jr. behind him. I had Garrett Wilson starting in the slot and Jackson Smith and Jigba behind him. You guys don't have to tell me how wrong I was about all that. Well, that's not your fault. We didn't know. I mean, we didn't didn't know, but but clearly – Garrett Wilson at X, backed up by Marvin Harrison Jr., I would have him second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Jackson Smith, the Jigba in the slot, backed up by Mekagbuka. And then I don't exactly know what to do with Jamison Williams. Probably third team X, but I would have Marvin Harrison Jr. ahead of him for now. Yeah, and it, the play in the spring game actually made me wonder. We talked so much about how the – and Garrett Wilson said this in an interesting way because as soon as he said we have more dudes we need to get on the field or whatever he said, I'm paraphrasing. Does, does Garrett Wilson say things like dudes? Probably not. But we have more guys we need to get on the field. And we immediately said, well, that's what they were – that's them saying they needed Jackson Smith and Jigba to get more. So that's why Garrett Wilson's moving outside. Spring game made me think he might have been talking about a Mecca Buga too. I think he was – yeah. I, I, the, I think it, the, exact, the quote was, yeah, we, need, we got a lot of dudes in, go, in zone six that we need to get on the field. I think he was talking about those – yeah, yeah. Football players use dude yeah. a lot in, in that term. Yeah, I think they were talking about a lot of these top 100 guys who just didn't have a spring. 
last year. So there was no way they were going to get snaps last year. Well, now they've had a whole spring to get through things, and you're seeing just how awesome they are. Oh, yeah, plus Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Abuka are pretty good too. But, I mean, even if Garrett's saying that, freshmen aren't guaranteed anything. So, sure. like, he might have right. meant that, but that's not the priority. So it's like, less about it's less about those two and more about whatever Julian when he, when he's healthy and Jackson Smith and Jigman. It's more about those two than the freshmen because of what you're saying. Like you're not guaranteed anything when you're a freshman. I would be surprised if Emeka Igbuka had maybe as big of a role as Garrett Wilson did as a freshman, just because of the talent in this room, partially. But I think he might have a a bigger role than what we would necessarily assume that just what the backup slot would be, or certainly what it's been the last couple of years. Could it be a Chris Olave situation from 2018 where it's gradual? And by the time we but get Chris to the Olave, end of this, I mean, we love the Chris Olave story and that it was Austin gradual. Mack also got hurt. Yes, that, I, I will huge. add in that caveat. Yeah, which is huge. And the but guys this, in front of So him, maybe it's not that extreme. The top right. guys weren't yeah. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson either. Yeah, you're so, right. I mean, it's, so. I, I mean, the one thing about Igbuka is he's not backing up one of the two best receivers in the country. So it's like, yeah. theoretically, it's like, well, would he have more room to maneuver than Marvin Harrison Jr. would just because Jackson Smith and the Jigma is not established? But as much as it's like Garrett's the X, Garrett's the X, Garrett's the X, Garrett's the X, Garrett Garrett's whatever the X, they want. You could also, if you wanted to get Marvin and Harrison Jr. some more snaps, you could slide Garrett in the slot for a little bit, right? If Garrett's like yep. 85% at X, little dip in the slot so that every time a backup's in the game, it's not Buka just because maybe there might Jackson Smith Najigba, I would guess, won't play as many snaps as Wilson and Olave. That's just a guess. But I don't know that that means that Agbuka will definitely play more snaps than Fleming and Harrison. Do you know what I mean? I hear you. Because yeah, that that's might, a good way to look at it. It's you can if, move Garrett and even Olave around a little bit so their backups aren't quite as blocked. That's Doug a good was, way to uh, look at it. It's uh, if if Garrett is in the slot and there's a backup X, if Garrett goes into the slot, Marvin Harrison is on the field. But if like Jackson Smith and Jigba just needs to come off the field, and they want to keep Garrett outside, then it's Emeka and Buka. So it's basically it's really Emeka and Marvin Harrison rotating. It's just at two different spots, but the the playing time is being rotated. Since people can only hear us and not see us, I want to say that Doug was walking like an Egyptian as he was describing that that maneuvering in the in the receiver room there but I, as i said to one of our texters somebody sent today and i thought we'd already talked about this on the pod like hey do you think garrett wilson asked to move outside for to help his draft status and i explained what we already talked about about the coach's decision but i also think he's going to still move around his versatility is already proven and it's on film and i think they'll still use it this year in some capacity I mean, you could fight steps last year where Chris Olave's in the slot. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not yeah. like, you know, yeah. so – or that it's even like you're still the Z, but the Z line's up here on this play, right? Mm -hmm. then. So, um, but, like, it's not equal. You know, it's not he's half this, half that. Like, he's the X receiver. But, yeah, he can slide around a little bit. And I do think service – in service of, like, equally sharing the second team reps, they can do whatever they need to do with the top guys. Rounding out the pass catchers at tight end. Jeremy Ruckert on the first line, Kate Stover on the second line. Yes, move on. Let's, yeah. Correct. Mitch Rossi, no, Mitch Rossi. Mitch Rossi's third probably though, right? Actually, yeah. the way Mitch Rossi played this probably. Game, yeah. Probably, yeah. Well, he's a, he's, yeah, he's Hausman in this situation. The, all, all of the, all the tight ends did okay, did what they were asked to do as far as I could tell on Saturday. So I'm, I'm curious, like next year is really interesting when Kate Stover has to be the best guy in that room. That's when mm -hmm. things get interesting a little bit. Offensive line. Left tackle, Thayer Munford, 
Dewan Jones. I think that's probably right. Yeah. Right? For the sake of just talking about these tackles in tandem, can Dewan Jones just be the backup tackle? Well, he's just a swing guy? There's a difference between what we think the depth chart is and what we think the actual usage would be. Because isn't a pair of Johnson probably the number the second guy up at a lot of these left tackle? I mean, it's like when the second team comes on the field, Fair. one guy can't right. play both spots. Right. So it's, 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 if when somebody got hurt, that's kind of maybe yeah. different, yes. But I do think DeWan Jones, when they line up, will be at left tackle when Thayer mm-hmm. Humphrey's not. That's how I look at this. When they're up 52-6 to six on Bowling Green or whoever, whatever team, who's in there as the second string offensive line? And it's where you practice. And it's, it doesn't guarantee your future, but it's also not irrelevant for your future, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you practice there all year. I mean, you don't practice at a thing people think you'll never play, right? So, I mean, it does, it does matter. But if Fair Munford got abducted by aliens, I would imagine within a week or two, Paris Johnson would be the left tackle. So, yeah. Here's another one where I wasn't like wrong, wrong, but I was kind of wrong. But we now have intel that tells me what the truth is. I, I had Paris Johnson Jr. as the starting left guard, Enoch Vamahi behind him. We now know Paris Johnson will be at right guard. Yeah, you weren't wrong. It's just, I mean, he's going to be a left tackle, so why not just keep him out of left guard so it's an easier transition, but yeah. And I had Matthew Jones as the right guard with Ryan Jacoby behind him. I think – and I had Harry Miller at center and Luke Whipler as the number two center. If I were doing this today, I think I'm just putting Matthew Jones at left guard and Harry Miller at center, but that's still, as we've talked about on the pod, I think a fluid situation. And let's clarify, who do we think the the two backup guards are? Who are the two second-team guards? So I struggled with this doing my new version because we saw Josh Fryer play a lot of guard this spring. But Greg Strujawa talked about his versatility, and I wonder if he might be, if you're doing a two-deep right now, would he maybe be the backup right tackle to Nicholas Petit-Frere? And I think the he inside, would be. And then the inside guys, Enoch Vamahi, and I'm going to go Donovan Jackson. I think I would still list Ryan Jacoby as it stands right now because Donovan Jackson hasn't even been here yet. But I think that's coming, and I'm, I included that in the way I wrote this up for the post that will be on the site tomorrow um, because the talent is there. It, it's tough because I think Enoch Vamahi and Ryan Jacoby have probably done everything Ohio State's ever asked of them and are, are, are good veteran backups, but I think Donovan Jackson's talent may force the issue. As much as I don't want to be beholden to injuries, I think it's okay to not have a guy who is not on campus yet, not on the depth chart. So, I mean, like, this is the post-spring depth chart, and Hill might be on the preseason depth chart after he gets here in August. And I think, to to your point, Doug, I think if something were to happen to a starting guard, I think Josh Fryer might be the next guy up first. But I think for for this because especially with Max Ray going into the transfer portal, it just made the most sense to put him at right tackle. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. We have about a lot of guys in the, uh, the second-team offensive line. None of them would actually play the position they're backing up if push came to shove. <laughs> but when they walk on the field, like, against – who's the Max team this year? Um, uh, week three? Uh, Ohio um, State Beat Riders? Who's the Max team I think it's three? <laughs> you guys don't remember? I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head. That those five, it's like, who, who will be the five that will come out on the field? Again? Akron. It's Akron. Akron. When they yeah, play Akron. I probably know that. My who mother will, was Akron. For some reason, I was thinking Akron was last year. but yeah, Who will come out on the field? Buffalo was last year. We had, and Bowling Green. And Bowling Lance Green. Leipold. Who will come out on the field in that alignment? And I think it, yeah, I think it'll probably be like Dewan Jones, Enoch Bamahi, Luke Whipler, uh, like Ryan Jacoby, and 
Josh Fryer right now if they did that today. So I think that's a reasonable guess. Yep. So anything else on offense that we need to make note of before we move on to defense? No, I mean, I, I mean, they have some players like you could go three deep a couple places, you know, even like, yep. like mm-hmm. cause Enoch Mahi was playing a little tackle. I mean, it's like sometimes, yeah. you know, a spring game and you gotta do what you gotta True. do, but like they have a lot of guys who can play multiple spots. And again, I mean, I'm not so sure that if they had an injury at guard, if something happened at guard, if Harry Miller is going to be the starting center and it's Jones and Johnson at guard, if something happened and you needed a guard, I'm not sure it wouldn't mean that Harry Miller moves to mm-hmm. guard and Luke Whipple plays center. True. Right. Or something like that. Like, I think that pinch, Luke yeah. Whippler might be like your, 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 your next, your next best interior guy. And then you move that way. Especially, I think if you're talking about something happening mid game, maybe that makes the most sense. It's the guy that has been practicing at center and, and you trust more than, I, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, over on the defensive side of the ball, things are a little bit more straightforward here, except for one position. Uh, defensive end. And I don't think side of the ball is, is really important here. At one, I had Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean-Baptiste and Jack Sawyer behind him. And at the other, I had Zach Harrison, Tyler Friday behind him. I think, I think, I think Jack Sawyer is like a, I think Jack Sawyer is a, is a second teamer. So it's like, who do you put him ahead of? I'm not so, I think you could do Jack Sawyer alone on one side if you're making a depth chart, right? Like Tyreek Smith, Jack Sawyer. Or Jack Sawyer is too good. I, I, I I can't look, live in a depth chart world where he looks like the fifth best defensive end on the chart. Yeah, I think that's what's tricky is it because it's not meant to look that way, but it would look that way. I see what you're saying. So if you're going to put one guy alone, does that sort of designate him as being the clear three? I, I could hear that. And I don't think Ohio State I'd put him alone it. on a two line before I put him alone on a three line, honestly. Yeah. And Ohio State maybe wouldn't do it that way because he's a true freshman. But we, we are living in the real world, and the real world is I think he's their third best defensive end right now. And this is where I, I, you know, we were all frustrated that Ohio State stopped putting out its own depth chart, but it forces us to kind of evaluate it and put out what is probably a more accurate depth chart. So I'm not defending their, their not doing it, but I, I like that we do things like this to hopefully give people even better intelligence. I also wouldn't be surprised if they got back to doing that this year now that we're not dealing with COVID. Well, knock on wood. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. They haven't done it since then, so we'll see. Uh, defensive tackle, uh, three technique, Haskell Garrett, one, Teron Vincent, two. This is where things are very fluid still, too, though, right? Like, I could see Teron Vincent playing nose tackle snaps. Yeah, but I think for the depth chart, I'd do what you said. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I think in the base defense, that's how it would be. I think he would not be the nose in the first down base defense. Because then it knows I had Antoine Jackson and Jerron Cage. Now, this is when you say I had, this is what you have now, or is that what you had on January 21st? That's also? what I had on January 21st. That's pretty good. I mean, that's right. I think, I don't think yeah. I would change your interior defensive line at all. Yeah, all of this has been what I had on January 21st. And just for the defensive line, again, depending on what we quibble out with Sawyer, it's, it's all been the same. Will linebacker, Taraja Mitchell and Kayvon Pope on the second line. No problems for me. I guess yep. that's right because, like, the Kayvon Pope had been a strong side linebacker, but that doesn't really exist right now. And he was out there, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what he was doing. So I, th- I think that's right. I, like, if Taraja Mitchell got abducted by aliens, would Kayvon Pope 
be the starter at will linebacker? See, that's where it gets. I don't know no, about dicey. that. I that's don't where it's, know about that. I think if Taraja Mitchell didn't exist, the two guys we're going to talk about when we get the mic would be the two starting inside linebackers. I think that's probably right, but they're one's a starter and one's second right. team there. So we've got to list yeah. somebody for the depth chart mm-hmm. purposes. And I think that's right. I think I would agree with what you said. Because as we said, there were two guys, Dallas Gantt and Mitchell Melton were the only guys hurt for the spring game. And the other, any other lack of depth at linebacker is just that they don't have, they aren't four deep at linebacker right now. Like the guys are coming, but like there's not a gazillion candidates, frankly. So I think it has to be Kayvon Pope. And they don't really need to, they don't really need to be that deep. If they're only in, if in their base and what we're getting ready to talk about, they're only playing two linebackers. You don't need to have eight people in the room for that. Kind of the argument I tried to make on Saturday. And I I thought people disagreed with me that, that they were thinner than what they, what people thought, but um, so yeah, Will and Kayvon Pope was kind of a dart throw by me on January 21st because I didn't really know where to put him, but that is where he played in the spring game. So I think that that is probably accurate as we stand here today. Uh, at Mike Landbacker, uh, Stephen, you were just alluding to this. I had Dallas Gant on the first line, Cody Simon on the second line. If you want to go all the way to the third line, I put Reed Carrico there. I mean, you know where I stand here, so this is going to. So be I mean, I think it would be Gant, and so I think Tommy Eichenberg would be on the third line now. Yes. At, yeah, Mike. And I think like Tommy Eichenberg's spot on the third line is might be like this as strong of a third line as there is that like, I think, I think as much as we just said, they don't have a million guys. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen exactly, but I think Tommy Eichenberg might play somehow, somewhere, at least a little bit that he's not like sometimes your third team guy, you can't even barely come up with one. Sometimes it's like it's a walk-on or it's a true freshman who you know is not going to do anything. Tommy Eichenberg, like, had a good spring, and people talked about him. But I think he's a Mike linebacker who, at the moment, would be behind Dallas Gant and Cody Simon, but he's not miles behind them. But I think that's how that would look, I, I think, right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that that just happens to be a position where now, especially if they've compressed how many linebackers they need, as Stephen was just saying, it starts to get pretty deep there at, at Mike and, and you worry, you not worry. You wonder if somebody else is, is maybe going to get involved at will at some point. But I, I think right now I would still have Dallas Gant on the one line, Cody Simon on the two. As I sit here today, that's just still deferring to Dallas Gant's veteran presence. I don't know if that'll be that way on day one of the, of the opening, opening day of the season on September 2nd, because I think Cody Simon's coming. And I think he, he looked pretty good on Saturday too. But we don't have, like, intel to lead us there other than our eyeballs, which eyeballs are intel. My mm-hmm. parents taught me that when I was very young. Eyeballs are intel. So, like, I think, you know, but I think for now, for depth chart, it makes sense. But it is one of those. And then Reed Carrico, like, Reed Carrico was out there yep. on Saturday. I think, again, if you had three linebackers, I think it's possible that when it comes to traditional linebackers that, like, Tommy Eichenberg and Reed Carrico are their fifth and sixth best linebackers. It's just that currently that makes you third team instead of second team because there's really only two linebacker spots, right? But, like, that's who they are. Usually if you say, hey, I'm the fifth-best linebacker at Ohio State, that's like, you know what? That's pretty darn good. And, and, and I right still now leave, you're on the third line. Yeah, and I still leave the door open to some kind of a, a Borland-Browning solution there. Like, do you use multiple guys at Mike, depending on which stage of the defense you're in? I don't know. Oh, I mean, the – Curtis Grant, Raquan McMillan, old guy, young guy, maybe their skill sets aren't hugely different, but you kind of want to play both. 
for Dallas Gant and Cody Simon, that uh, I'll open the door on that mm-hmm. for sure. Just yeah. like now, Browning and Borland was a little bit more skill set, but it was also they both deserve to play. But if you want to arrive at a world where both middle linebackers deserve to play, and you know what? I'm not so sure Tommy Eichenberg doesn't deserve a few snaps every now and then too. And nobody's so far ahead. If you play 70 defensive snaps in a game that actually matters, and you're going to tell me that it's going to be 30 for Gant, 30 for Simon, and 10 for Tommy Eichenberg because Tommy Eichenberg gets some snaps that matter too. I'm here for it. I could buy that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because if this if this season were opening with the schedule that you had two years ago, where it was Miami of Ohio, okay Cincinnati team, Indiana team that wasn't there yet, and then who was the fourth game? Miami. What was the first, first game? Is Florida Atlantic. Fourth game is Miami. If you had that kind of a schedule to open up with, I think we would be seeing a lot of guys maybe early in the game at positions like this. This year, it's a little different. You got Minnesota, you got Oregon right off the bat, and I it's it's I don't know how they're going to handle that, but um, I I think you're right that I think we are still going to see several guys involved at linebacker. And in the last linebacker position, if we're even going to call it that anymore, should I? I guess that's the first question. I called it Sam linebacker when I did this on January 21st. Call it the bullet. You got to call it the bullet. I mean, that's what they played as the base defense in the spring game. I think it's comfortable now just saying bullet. Agreed. I had Craig Young on the first line. Mm-hmm. I had Court Williams on the second line. So there's one big change there. Starter can be – I think there's an or here. It's Ronnie Hickman or Craig Young, and it's literally just because it depends on the game. Hmm. I, I mean, they're, they're different enough players that there could be some situationality. And matchupness to that beyond just you're the guy or you're the guy. So, but I also think they could arrive at a world where they kind of split it. And doesn't, I mean, yeah. I also sort of defer to who is playing on first down in that situation. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't Craig Young, wouldn't you still assume Craig Young against almost any opponent is the Sam linebacker for, or the, the bullet for the first snap <laughs> of the game on? Not if it's a passing team. Yeah. Not if it's a passing team that you're you're more scared of their pass. I mean, lots of teams throw on first down. I mm-hmm. I know what you're saying, and I don't disagree. If you're looking to put one guy one and one guy two, and you don't want to do an or, I, I understand that reasoning. But I think if you're playing, I, I'm I, who's a good example? Who's the throwiest? Um, Maryland? I don't know. If you're playing like a team that's just gonna like chuck it around a little bit, maybe Ronnie Hickman's still the guy even on first down. Hickman could legitimately start it against Minnesota, and then they come back with Craig Young and get to Oregon. And they're mirror images of each other. That's what's so interesting. Like one guy right. coming from a linebacker to be – it's like the peanut butter and chocolate commercials back in the day with the Reese's or whatever. It's like one guy was a linebacker who became a hybrid. The other guy was a safety who became a hybrid, and, and they're like – they're two sides of the same coin now. And it's mm-hmm. – that is an interesting one to suss out. But I think – I know I might be swayed by that. Maybe I'll and those guys or or those guys, however you want to say it. And Court Williams on the second line then. Yeah, yeah, I think that's even though we've never actually seen him play football for Ohio State. <laughs> now, listen, this way they talked about him. Uh, you know, He's got, this is it. Yeah, he was recruited to be this, and that and was... he showed something in preseason camp. People were high on him. We're not making that up. He just hasn't been on yeah. the field. Correct. Cornerbacks. I had seven banks starting, followed by Legend Cavazos and Tyreek Johnson on one side. Those are on three separate lines. It looks like. And I had Cam Brown. Actually, I'm reading from – I'm not reading from the one I actually published, but uh, the other one I had Cam Brown and Ryan Watts. Cam Brown first line, Ryan Watts second line. Can we put an aura with Cam Brown and Ryan Watts on the other side? 
I mean, I guess I, I don't think that – I think that probably makes sense. I mean, just because we don't know because Cam's been out. Yeah. And, and even – I mean, Cam was not that established. He, he won a role last year, but he only played two games. So. And it wasn't outside. Right. So. But he was outside before. I mean, they were grasping a little bit. You know, like I, I, don't think they, I don't think they put him in the slot last year because they thought, oh, he's a much better slot corner. I think they put him in the slot because they thought, he's our third best corner. And we have mm-hmm. Sean Wade and seven banks outside, so he's got to play in the slot. So uh, I could live with an or there. But I definitely think like Watts with Brown because Watts looks like the third guy. Yeah, And then I do think Tyreek Johnson, again, if he's going to not go away, I mean, good for him. He was out there. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, Legend wasn't out there Saturday. I think you could get into some Denzel Burke stuff if you wanted to. I mean, DeMario's around. I mean, I think DeMario's their eighth corner. So I don't think he has to be on the depth chart. But, like, I think uh, you're – Nathan, this is better. This is pretty good. It's not like there's been massive changes, but even some of the little nuances – on second team, you had a pretty good handle on in January. Well, you could – thank you. But I also would argue that they weren't, like, still, like, overflowing with obvious options necessarily. And I guess, I mean, it would have been something if I had, like, predicted Ronnie Hickman would end up as the bullet. That would be worth, like, you know, praising me for. But, like, I had him as the, the backup safety or something at the time. So, uh, But I think you're right. I think if, I'm, if we – or Brown and Watts, I think that's where I'd put Johnson on the second line. Because I think that more clearly kind of delineates that Seven Banks is like the number one cornerback in this room right now. So then who would you have as his backup? Uh, Legend Cavazos. Okay. That sounds good to me. But it's all – some of that is really semantic. When you start talking about second guys at, at those cornerback spots, I think it, get, it gets semantic. Uh, slot corner. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, Stephen, if you had to rank the, rank the top six cornerbacks right now, outside corners. Uh, seven is one. Cam and Brian Watts are 2A and 2B. I might make Legend and Tyreek Johnson 4A and 4B. And then Denzel Burke is just last on that list right Six. now because he's a freshman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think I agree with that. I think those are good groupings. So, yeah, that, if that, I think we're reflecting that in this depth chart. Yeah. Slot corner. Again, I'm going to take some – I had – I'm going to have to double check what I have, but according to this, I had Lathan Ransom one, Marcus Williamson two. I'm double checking that to make sure I have that correct. That seems like too smart for me, but. (laughs) Give yourself some credit, man. He had just, he had just played a bunch against Clemson and we saw him try to cover Jalen Waddle in the national championship game. I mean, and Lathan Ransom I'm talking about. It's not like, there was a little Lathan Ransom January juice out there. So I don't think that's crazy. And I think we came off last season thinking that they probably need a talent upgrade at slot corner. So I think you probably did have that. I think you're probably on it. I just double checked. It is what I published. So, uh, yeah. I, I, and, and I think that is still could be some kind of a timeshare. Um, but, but the name we haven't, the name I didn't include at the time, as far as a 2D situation was Cam Martinez. So I think that's a name that needs to be potentially included in some way. I, would, I think he has to be included. Could we go like Lathan one and then like Marcus Williamson or Cam Martinez yeah, on the two line? I was going to say that. That's, that's, I think, how I already revised that uh, on what I've written for tomorrow. So I, I think you're right, Doug. I mean, we, we came out of last season thinking that's a position that needed to be upgraded talent-wise and that maybe it was going to happen merely by the young guys getting a chance to prove that they were better and in a way that they didn't get to prove it last year. More ready. 
one year more experience. I mean, there's two things to play. One is just you're around a year longer, but also you're going to be in a more normal season instead of a crazy season. So you'll have even more experience, but more opportunity to show what you can do. So again, it's like, it's the same cast of characters, but it would make sense that the characters might change. And then at free safety, I had Josh Proctor and I had Marcus Hooker as the backup. That seems unlikely at this stage. I think it's really? Bryson Shaw right now. And Jansen Dunn yeah. on on the third. standby, right? Yeah. And I mean, Bryson Shaw was clearly on Saturday. It was like Bryson Shaw was on one team and Josh Proctor was up the other. And then Jansen Dunn was kind of working in. So I would agree with that. But like aware of Jansen Dunn making a move. But I think Shaw would be two for now. I'm worried that I'm sounding overcritical to those guys, but I, it, as I do these, it strikes me that there may be nobody on defense that Ohio State can less afford to get hurt this year than Josh Proctor. Uh, if, Maybe Josh Proctor got, Harrison, if Josh Proctor got abducted by aliens, well, because like if Zach Harrison got abducted by aliens, you just play Jack, Jack Sawyer and Tyreek Smith and tell them to go. I yeah, you're right. And have yeah. I think John it's Baptiste Proctor. Friday walk. If Josh Proctor got abducted by aliens, who would You're be their trouble. starting deep guy? Just based off of that Michigan State game and those those snaps Bryce and Shaw had, they're in trouble back there. I think I think like Jansen Dunn might have to get ready fast because mm-hmm. and that is, but then do you problem solve right? Because it feels I actually I think it probably would be Marcus Williamson because they played Marcus Williamson at some Maybe. deep safety last year late in the year, and you were trying to figure it out. He's a veteran. He's been back there a little bit. Because that's one of those, it's like, well, if you have three guys in Martinez, Ransom, and Williamson who can do something at slot, and it's like, well, now they're probably all more established than Bryson Shaw. So it's like, you've got to do something. I actually think even if Marcus, what did Marcus, I, I can't, Marcus Williamson said something this spring, right? Like, where is he playing? He said slot. Okay, so he's playing slot. So that's where we should have him. Yep. But if they got in trouble, I think he might be the next guy up at deep safety if it was a long-term thing. I think you might be right, but I, I still think that's a problem. <laughs> I'm not yeah. trying to be mean. I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> we've talked so long about how they need, a, like, a solution at, deep, at free safety by getting a real free safety back there. And we think it might be Josh Proctor, but that's still not even his perfect skill set, I'm not sure. And, it's man, that it still seems like just the long-term solve that needs to happen with this defense. I mean, it's just one of those things. I mean, and it's the the conversation, one of the favorite conversations that Buckeye Talk listeners and Ohio State fans love to have, which is when is it time to play young guys? I mean, I think you would get spot. It would go back to it would be like the Christian Bryan injury in 2013. And when do you put Von Bell on the field? And I think Jansen Dunn would be in the Von Bell role. And you just he just might have to be ready right now. Because the other option is a veteran who's been around but probably isn't as talented which is where they were with Corey Pittsburgh Brown in 2013. And they did not pull the trigger and it cost them. It w- they would be in that exact situation, which Ohio state, you can't have great ready rising young guys as your backup at every spot. You are going to get caught sometimes where behind your starter, your choice is a veteran who knows what he's doing, who just really isn't good enough to be a starter. And a young guy who has the talent to be a starter but doesn't know what he's doing yet. And, and at a great program, at other programs, you wind up at spots like that, like seven spots a year, 
all the time. Like that's your first team choice. A veteran who's like, okay, and a young guy who's going to be better but doesn't know what he's doing, one of them's got to start. At Ohio State, they usually have a solution. And they don't, even at two, that's not what it always is. Sometimes your two is Jack Sawyer, and it's like, oh, he's ready right now. But like, Or your two is just like, you know, Teron Vincent is your two. It's like he's ready whenever needed. They'd be, they'd be caught in between at deep safety if Josh Proctor gets abducted by aliens. It's a really good thing Jansen Dunn early enrolled because of that logic. And, and at least they, he's been here for 15 practices. They know that. They, I mean, they know in their hearts what the deal is. And so that's at the top of the list of one of the things of like getting Jansen Dunn ready for, ready for emergency duty is one of the things that they're going to be doing like in August and then really working on in like September and October in case the aliens don't come until November. Right. And, and then they've got to be able to pull the trigger and make the actual move, which is the discussion we have if it gets to that point, but that, that would be, that would almost be a good podcast. Where are they go through the roster, go through the second team and go, just go through. Okay. If this starter gets abducted by aliens, how would Ohio State handle it? Would they be like a, an A, like the back, from a backup standpoint, like prepared to start? Or would, you know, like where would they be and how many positions would they maybe be caught in between the way we think they're caught in between here? Basically grading their depth. Anything you do like threat levels, like red, orange, yellow. Oh, yeah, that's good. Purple. Blue and green, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think back, back depth chart threat level. We keep coming up. You've been sending things along like today. You've been sending like, oh, we got a good question, but it's too good for rapid fire. We've got to do a whole pot on it. I think this is, this is another one. I always do this. It's like I've been staring into the abyss of the summer in a world where we do five, five podcasts a week. Because frankly, we've been analyzing so much of the same stuff from back to last seats. It's like the quarterback mm-hmm. thing is new, but it's a lot of the same conversations. And I thought, like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, I just – I don't know. But then we come up with stuff like this. Somebody today asked us on the, the, the text, uh, hey, you guys going to do that thing last year where you talked to a beat writer from every team? I'm like, yeah. you bet your bitty we are. We <laughs> might talk to three per team. We got, a bunch of, we got a bunch of these to get through. And some of you have already sent us some great texts. I responded to some of you and said, hey, that's a good draft question. We're going to get to that next week. And we talk a lot of draft stuff. Hey, that's a great question that I think we're going to get to in another podcast. But – Many of you sent us stuff that we're going to talk about today. So that was a good, robust run-through, I think, on the depth chart. And when we come back from break, we are going to get into your rapid-fire questions here on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk with your rapid-fire questions. Thanks to everyone who sent them in, 614-350-3315. If you want to participate in episodes like this, in addition to getting all of the intel and analysis that we send out on a daily basis, A lot of questions about the quarterback situation, and we've talked about the quarterbacks, and a lot of these questions delved into what happens next. But as we just discussed at the start of this, the starting job is not decided yet, and therefore the repercussions of the starting job being decided are more difficult to suss out. So, But we are going to get into it. I don't want to get bogged down in it, but I think it is something that's on the top of people's minds. We are going to talk about it in a few different ways. So here from the 330, we're going to start off. Does Comaccord really have a shot to win the job? That's from Brett in the 330. I wrote an article afterwards. It was like my quick reaction article from the spring game saying, CJ Stroud 
is leading this race. Our state's not going to say it, but C.J. Stroud's in front. Does Can Comacord still win this job? I think he can. Do you guys agree or disagree? I agree. I mean, I just put him on the or when we were doing the depth chart part of this. I do. I, I think in going back and rewatching that spring game, he was a lot better than I think we gave him some credit for. He, he's got the best arm of the three. From a simply just a talent standpoint, he's got the highest ceiling. Now, can he catch up and be as consistent as C.J. Stroud was? That becomes a question of whether or not he can win this job. And I think he can. I think he can push C.J. When you guys say you think that he can win it, how much does that have to involve C.J. Stroud doing something not as well as expected? Or do you think that, like, C.J. Stroud can be good and, like, Kyle McCord just shoots past him? I think that's – I don't put a high percentage on it happening, but I think it could, sure. Based on the fact that like, one guy's a year older and that C.J. Stroud is clearly talented, at this point I would think that whether it's an injury or C.J. just having, like, a really bad week of practice, right? Like, J.T., everybody said in 15 – JT Barrett got in his own head a little bit, I think. Like the act of competing for a job that he had previously won kind of made him not play his best in August in 2015, which I think opened the door for Cardale to win the job. I mean, I think, I think it would have to involve some of that. That like the idea that right now everybody is saying CJ is the front runner and then somehow that affects CJ negatively and Kyle is good. I would say for Kyle McCord to have to win the job, he would have to be very good, and C.J. Stroud would have to look worse than he looked this spring, for instance. I don't know that we're in a spot now where only awesome Kyle McCord would get him the job at this point. So that's why I am not leaving much margin there. There's a couple other questions that I think can help us frame this argument. We can, we can keep going or discussion arguments, maybe a strong word from the 614. Do you see a world where Stroud starts this year? McCord starts next year and Ewer starts the year after that. In my opinion, McCord showed he's too talented to sit two years behind Stroud, but not experienced enough to start right now. And that if he had the same level of experience in the program as Stroud, he'd likely be the starter this year. And that goes into more transfer stuff. But I want to get into another question from the 317. Following the spring, I have what seems to be the popular opinion that Kyle McCord looks like the guy with maybe the highest ceiling, but that Stroud will probably win the starting job. Is this shaping up to be a Fromm Fields type of scenario? I realize it's not a perfect analogy, but if Stroud wins the job, I just don't see any way McCord sticks around. And if I had to put money on it today, I'd say McCord ends up being the best of the bunch. Anything about that, the idea that maybe as you're watching this spring, as you're watching the spring game, in the back of your mind, are you thinking, you know, Kyle McCord, man, did he look good. Maybe he does have the highest ceiling of these guys, but maybe C.J. Stroud is the best one to start on September 2nd. My head hurts. That's I know, but this is, that's, this is what, what they think, gave that's us what to I'm work with. That's what I'm thinking. It's with Because with Ohio State, it's not so much who can win you. It's who can beat the Alabama. Okay, but, be Georgia. but who actually has the highest ceiling? Quinn Ewers I, has the yeah. highest ceiling. Right, right. So okay. we've had this hook. discussion before. If you were thinking, you know what, I'm picking my quarterback for the next three years, maybe McCord's ceiling matters more now. 
but you don't think that. You, Ryan Day, you, Corey Dennis, you, Kevin Wilson, you, us, you, America, you, Buckeye Nation. Quinn Ewers is the fly in the ointment here because it really is the only thing is who helps this team right now with national championship aspirations have the best chance to win a national championship. It's not about ceiling because the ceiling is coming. Yeah. And we got a lot of questions and it wasn't any of the ones that we just read, but I think I'm going to paraphrase them because we got multiple ones saying, doesn't Quinn Ewers and doesn't who may or may not transfer depending on whether they win the job, doesn't that affect who Ryan day has to pick this fall? And I said, no, I would say no. I would say this fall he picks the person who will help Ohio state win the most games this fall. And then all this starts over again next spring. I'm not going to say confidently that he doesn't think about it like that. I am going to say that he probably shouldn't because I mean, the proof is in the pudding. They're going to get, go get top quarterbacks every single year. So I don't think he should, which means I think I'm coming back around to Nathan's side when we had the conversation of should Ohio State go after, or go after a five-star QB every single year. Well, they're doing it. So let's just come over to the other side. I think he's just got to pick who can win him a national championship this year. And if that changes when Quinn Ewers gets here, it just changes when Quinn Ewers gets here. But it does – I think it changes fundamentally the competition itself, though. Yeah, because, because it's, easy, it's easier to convince Quinn Ewers, hey, you sit for a year and then CJ's out of here, and then you take over for the next two years than it is no, if Kyle McCord no, wins. No, because I think what it changes is that it makes this competition only about this year. Yeah. Because Quinn Ewers is the men in black little zapper. That as soon as this season ends, Quinn Ewers is going to come up here and he's going to zap everybody and wipe their memories clean. And whether they win a national championship, whether they go eight and four, Quinn Ewers is coming. And that's the deal. Or how many, I, I mean, I'll make as many dated pop culture analogies as anybody wants me to make. These are all, this is the Baratheons and the Targaryens and uh, the short guy. Everybody in Game of Thrones Game of is quarterbacks fight, is fighting each other for power, right? And Quinn Ewers, he's the White Walkers, man. He's on the other side of the wall. And guess what? Congratulations oh. on, on ruling the kingdom. The frozen dudes who can't be killed, they're coming for all of you. So that just takes a little bit of the, you know, the juice out of like, oh, you're not finding Ohio State's quarterback for the next three years in this competition, which if Quinn Ewers was going to Texas, I think that's how we all would be talking. And then we'd be having a debate of whether Ryan Day should think about 2022 while he's picking the 2021 quarterback. And is he thinking about 2022 and 2023 while picking the 2021 quarterback? But I think we have, I think Quinn Ewers has eliminated that discussion. This is, that's, I want to uh, just to just to follow up on that. I, I I didn't finish the question from the six one four. And the last sentence was, I guess my question circles around the ever elusive quote ruthlessness of Ryan Day and whether or not you believe that he'd be willing to bench an incumbent starter multiple times to get the most out of the talent on the roster. And but that by doing what he's done, I think Ryan Day has committed himself to that being the only logical way to approach this. 
Yeah, you can't be ruthless with the recruiting and not ruthless in the decision-making later. 100%. You, you, you chose which route you wanted to take, so now you have to consistently be in that route. And Bama did it and Clemson did it. And it won them a national title. They didn't play their and, five stars because the other guys graduated and left. They just mm-hmm. pushed them aside and played the guy who gave them the best chance in that moment. And While and Georgia I, didn't, and it didn't. They didn't win a national title because they didn't do it. Now, we can go back and replay the discussion that we had about Quinn Ewers. I'm not saying it's the best way. I'm not saying it's the healthiest way. I think you might have a better, more robust, more honest, healthier, wide-ranging quarterback battle if Quinn Ewers wasn't coming. But that's the deal. He's coming. So, you know, we've already had that discussion. It's not what I want or we want. It's what's happening. And I just don't think this quarterback competition is about anything other than who gives Ohio State the best chance to win in 2021. And if that's the case, I just am not, I can't imagine it being anybody other than CJ Stroud. Following up on that, because I think this extends the conversation again from the 412, with CJ as a likely starter, and actually interjecting Nathan here, I think you could put any name there, but with, with CJ as a likely starter, would anything less than a Heisman campaign and title game appearance guarantee the job as starter the following year? I feel like a side of the quarterback room that hasn't been explored extensively is the utter chaos that will ensue next year if CJ is anything other than spectacular. Where does that put the program, and what is the potential fallout of another battle next spring? Well, there's going to be another battle next spring. That's happening. Like, whatever you want to call a battle, it's happening. I mean, if Kyle McCord is still here, he's going to come in as like, okay, well, I know I didn't win the job last year, but I was a true freshman. I've got a year of experience. I'm going to take another shot at this, assuming he's still around. I assume he would be at that point. And you got Quinn Ewers coming in on a Texas Cyclone ready to win that job. Like, it, there's going to be another battle next spring. So, all, like, like you're saying, Doug, like, this is all – this all happens now, and then we kind of wipe it clean, I think. Not completely clean, because I think part of the case that whoever wins the job this fall will make next spring is here's what I just did, if, assuming it was positive stuff. But it all starts again next spring. Ask Kelly Bryant was his job safe when he got Clemson to the playoff with another, and they didn't win a national championship. Uh, but, see, I just think – I think the question is asked backwards because I think he could win the national championship and the Heisman and still not have his job be guaranteed. Yeah. I said when Luke Fickle was the interim coach in 2011, I said I think Luke Fickle could win the national championship and they're still going to hire Urban Meyer. Because just because Luke Fickle did an amazing job didn't automatically make him a better candidate than Urban Meyer. And just because C.J. Stroud does an amazing job and wins the Heisman and leads them to a national title does not automatic, does not definitively make him better than Quinn Ewers, who people think is the best Quarterback recruit the last 10 years. What if Quinn Ewers is three national titles and three Heismans? That's a wild world to live in. But, but this, is, this is the crux of your fear, right, for lack of a better term, right, Doug? That yes. this is where it gets problematic. Because if you have a guy go out and win a Heisman Trophy and win a national championship and, and Ohio State fans will be ecstatic, but then isn't that where pushing that guy aside – the ripple effect, that's where the dominoes start to fall in a negative way, potentially from a recruiting standpoint, right? Yeah, that, that's too far out there. 
Or That's, if you bring in the number one quarterback recruit and he gets here and is like, I didn't even have a chance to win the job. They didn't even let me compete. That's not great either, right? And now we're back into Doug's world of too much quarterback talent, which nobody liked. So, I mean, is all that going to happen? No, it's not going to happen. But, like, we're just playing games, right? We're, we're, we're having scenarios. But I'm just telling you, that's how I'm thinking of this quarterback competition because that's how I think Ryan Day is thinking of the quarterback competition. That it really is all about right now. But, man, I just – but also, but yeah, but but also, like I don't listen. They're going to lose somebody, and I, I know there's transfer questions. Like you just you can't keep everybody happy in this scenario. And maybe we have to do this as a separate podcast. I don't know where the transfer things are going. We have not had a discussion about it since the transfer rule went through, and we are now in transfer anywhere you want, including within the Big Ten, and played right away with no penalty. I'm not so sure. I think there might be a better chance that Kyle McCord is like Penn State's starting quarterback next year than he is Ohio State's starting quarterback next year. And not because he's not good. But like, that's where we are now. So like, if we want to play the game of like, uh, in 2022, will CJ Stroud, Quinn Ewers, Jack Miller, and Kyle McCord all be starting quarterbacks somewhere? That's the world. This is what everybody wanted. Everybody wants everyone to have freedom. That's what we're talking about now. And I'm pushing it off too far. Probably not. But I think three of those four might be starting quarterback somewhere in 2022. They could all be starting quarterbacks in the around here. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, yeah, at least one would be a starter in the Big Ten. I don't think the other two would stay this far east in this, in this scenario, just given where they're from. Probably not, depending on what the option was somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, USC's you, getting their recruiting together and their talent together. Let's just play the game of, of C.J. Strauss from California. What if USC had it together? And then all they were missing was the quarterback. Yeah, and C.J. Yeah. Strauss didn't win the job, and then all of a sudden he wants to go home. I think if it's a program like that, it makes sense. If it's a program yeah. like Fresno State, I think yeah, – yeah, yeah. and, and Wisconsin needs a quarterback, he's probably, he might just go to Wisconsin. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah, that's fair. I'm not trying to freak people out, but, like, we, we always try to be careful talking about transfers right because these are people's lives i don't know if we can be careful anymore because this is the world and this is and i am not anti-player freedom this is a a, this is a little wacky frankly i think for me and again it's the argument that like there's not free agency in any other sport i mean like if you it's not a pro sport so they're amateurs i guess so this is the trade-off they have ultimate freedom but this is not how it works in baseball or football or the NBA or the NHL, you're committed to a team when you get there for a certain period of time, and then you earn your freedom. So the idea that you can come in as a freshman, be like, no, nope, this isn't for me, leave, go play right away somewhere else, and that's the world now, I, I do think that's a little weird. I, don't, I wouldn't say problematic necessarily, but it is a little weird, and I don't know how it affects it, but I do think it influences stuff like this. So I think, but I think the solution for Ryan Day is you can't worry one second about it because just as soon as you think, well, if I do this and McCord will stay or I do this and yours will wait for a year, this, you're going to mess it up anyway. So all you can do is pick the best guy that helps your team win that season and then tell everybody else who is not that guy that season, we're going to develop you. We're going to support you. We're going to provide you great football opportunities. We're going to teach you how to play this position. And if something happens to the other guy, if he doesn't perform or he gets hurt, you might be the next guy up. 
but somewhere else probably wants you to play right now. And that's just the world, man. I don't know how much you can plan. So maybe it is smart. Get the best quarterback in the country every year and have them all play for one year. I don't know. Or that's like the that. philosophy they're using with the quarterbacks. I mean, the fact that Joe Burrow and Dwayne has this worked out is what it is, but it's the idea of come here and get developed. And whether you end up being the starter here or somewhere else, you're going to be a first round draft pick. So that's the world we're in. So, but it's, uh, it, but it is hard to wrap your head around. And at some point, like it becomes not that fun to think about to me because we actually had a question and, and I didn't pick it, but I thought it was a good question from someone saying that it's sort of affecting their enjoyment of the team right now because they can't pick their guy. It's hard for them. Yeah. Like, who's my quarterback? They're coming out of this spring. Like, who's my quarterback? My, my Ohio State quarterback that I want to kind of embrace. Who is that? The starter. But I know but was, exactly what that player is. I know, like, but yeah. that's, not what, that's not what college football is going to be yeah. as much anymore, you know? And so but that's even great. With Justin, but even with Justin Fields, from pretty much the time him. that he transferred in, you could say, well, that's, that's Ohio State's quarterback. And you got to kind of embrace him for two years. Not physically embrace him, but. Quinn Ewers is going to be your quarterback. Quinn Ewers is going to start here for at least two years, maybe three. Not four, <laughs> at least two, maybe three. So that's the guy you'll be able to embrace, right? And they won't bring in the number one quarterback in the class after because they already have Quinn Ewers. But, you know, there, there were other I, – I understand what the person is saying. that like if, I think it is – might be really hard to be a McCord guy right now because I think there's a lot about McCord that is likable. But he's right, he's right like in that burrow window of like, it's hard to be a fan of a five-star quarterback. I think he'll be okay. Yeah. Because I think he'll make a decision. He'll be here. He'll be developed. He'll fight his butt off. He'll show good stuff. And then he'll make a decision for himself of what's my best opportunity to get on the field and to grow as a player. But man, it sure feels like it's going to be hard to be at Ohio State, doesn't it? Doesn't it just feel like it's going to be hard for him to be at Ohio State? I, I think you're right, Doug, that it's hard to have this discussion right now. I, I don't like talking about the transfer p- uh, possibilities willy-nilly, and I think we do a good job of avoiding it for the most part. It's unavoidable right now with the quarterback situation. That's why I almost didn't use these, court- these qu- questions, but I felt like it's, it's right on the top of people's minds, and that's the, it's, that's the choice Ohio State has made. And I think Ryan Day was, was asked about it at the time and was upfront about it, saying that's just what the world is now. But the, and the thing of it is, is we don't want to talk about transfers in a willy-nilly way. But with the new transfer rule, I think the transfers themselves are going to be willy-nilly. So then what are we holding back for? Mm-hmm. Everybody on – what is it in yet? Did it start yet? When's it start? June 1st? What's the date? It's uh, – you have to – well, in most years you will have to – declare by june 1st no it's most years now. you have to declare it's 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 later this year because of the circumstances but most years yeah. it'll be earlier but i think it's may are, 1st most years we're, yeah. we're living in a world where you're going to go through spring football knowing that every single player on the field could be on another team tomorrow and, it makes quarterback battles less interesting because you're going to know who the starting quarterback is at the end of the spring it's going to be harder to develop guys I, I i mean i think this is a little bit of a lot going on like four guys in, in this small of a window I actually think is too many for real but they'll start stacking stuff but like we're talking about I mean honestly for real 
are they going to be able to stack the receivers like they want to stack them? Or is Mecca Buka just going to be like, well, I'll go be the number one receiver at USC tomorrow? I thought I came here. I thought maybe I'd win a starting job as a freshman. I didn't. I'm gone. I mean, like, that is, will you be able to plan anything? I'm not. I'm just saying, man, like, this is what it's going to be like potentially. And it makes it from a fan standpoint, because fans love to look ahead. It's going to be hard to project into the future because I, I, I said Quinn Ewers has the man in black thing. I feel like every year, everybody has a man in black thing and you just shoot it and you wipe the slate clean because everybody might leave. I don't know. I'm not trying to be pessimistic about it. I, I think people are a little too gung ho about everybody can leave all the time because actually, frankly, I know that coaches in college sports can do it. And they do have buyouts and I get that, but coaches could leave without penalty and the players could not. There are kind of a lot of things in life where you can't necessarily, even people have to give a job, you have to give two weeks notice. It's not often that you can just like be doing one thing for a group of people one day and the next day you're doing the same thing for a completely different group of people. And that's it. You just have ultimate freedom, no responsibility, to your existing group, you can just go. That's not exactly how the world actually works. There are some limits on how people can move. So this ultimate freedom, I think, is going to be hard for us to wrap our heads around a little bit. And it's going to, when we start having discussions into the future, we're going to make ourselves look silly because there's just going to be swaths of guys who don't stick around if they're not starting right away. Yeah, but I think it might be a little different for other positions. One, because more people can play. And it, I, I understand what you mean with the Emeka Buka situation, but I, I, because more people can play at other places, it's not a, so stark as either you're starting and you're playing or you're not starting and you're not playing at all. So it might just be very drastic with quarterbacks, why it just might be a little softer with wide receivers and offensive linemen and such. I mean, of course, every competition, everything about quarterbacks' competitions are amped up. but backups aren't going to wait as much. That's, I, I think that's going to be a somewhat general rule of this. Backups are not going to buy their time as much as they did in the past for good and for bad. I mean, like, great, go play, but it's going to be a little weird. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think there's a world where the players should get paid and then their movement should be limited. Cause that is the thing about this. If you're paying the players and they should be compensated, then you don't get to do everything you want to do all the time. It's the difference between Asking somebody for a favor. <laughs> Recruiting is basically asking a teenager for a favor. Hey, hey, uh, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you come to my school and be really good at what you do and make me millions of dollars? And I'll give you free food. It's like asking your friends to help you move, right? You buy them pizza. That's what college sports is right now. So if your friends don't show up, you can friends can show up. They can leave halfway through, whatever. No big deal. You have no control. If you pay the movers, the movers have to stay until the job is done. So if you're going to pay college athletes, you can't let everybody leave whenever they want to leave. So actually, that's what I hope we get to a world where we, we pull back on the willy-nilly total freedom of movement, but you're compensated. You're monetarily compensated for your skill, and we reach a middle ground. I think we're entering a weird spot, and that's not at all what this podcast is about. No, but you know how that happens. It's through like collective bargaining and uh, negotiation. And that's something else that 
college sports doesn't want any part of giving the players that kind of power. But you're right. I think that is a different podcast. And we had a bunch of, we had some other transfer questions about like, Hey, don't we have, doesn't Ohio state have too many receivers? Like when are some of these guys going to transfer? And I didn't want to now follow up on the quarterbacks with that. I think there'll be time for that discussion at some point. One receiver question we did get from the five one nine. Does Jackson Smith and Jigba have a higher ceiling than peak Olave? I was curious that they picked Olave instead of Garrett Wilson, since there's maybe more of a direct comparison between Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson. But I thought that was an interesting question to like, what, where do we see now after a, a small season and a spring, what kind of ceiling do we see for Jackson Smith and Jigba? I think the reason they asked it that way is because Smith and Jigba was not as high of a recruit as Garrett, but was a higher recruit than Olave. So Probably no right. one's gonna, no one's ever gonna ask, does somebody have a higher ceiling than Garrett Wilson? It's like Garrett Wilson is like everything you want in a receiver, and you knew it from the minute he got here, and he's lived up to it. I think, as we've talked about, it's like Olave missed time. He kind of had a weird high school career. He was underrated. I think he has a combination of body control, hands, route running, speed, catch the short ball, catch the deep ball, complete unfazed about anything way of handling his business that I don't necessarily want to go down that road, but do I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba could be a first round pick? Yes. Yeah. I think I agree with that. It's also a little harder to, 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 because you didn't get to see at least what his floor was, but to an extent, at least with Chris, that freshman year, you got to see what the floor was. You, you saw one awesome catch from Jackson Smith, the Jigba, and that was pretty much it. While with Chris, the Michigan State game, he showed some things he flashed, and then obviously the Michigan game was what it was. But with with, so maybe or maybe it's the exact same thing. But that's a hard question to answer when you don't even know what the floor of one guy is. It is hard to answer because it wasn't even a full season with Jackson Smith or Jigba. You're right; it was like flashes. But it also says something that he might be so good that they change the way they're aligning guys, including Garrett Wilson, on offense because they want to get him on the field more. I think that does say something so i think it's a fair question to ask um here's some we, we got some great nonsense questions for this week and this one's still like threads like it, it combines football and nonsense so it's like it's like a, almost a perfect buckeye talk question in fact it calls back to something we brought up on the podcast uh from the 513 rank the world worst children's games to play would it be dodgeball against the qbs red rover against the linebackers duck duck goose against the defensive ends paintball against the wide receivers that's actually the one they closed with but i think the closer is actually the one i would pick as being the worst one to play which is trust fall catching the offensive line oh god i have not i'm not doing that i'm already nervous none all why i don't want to play with the football team um i still red rover i felt like i got my arms ripped off by like 90 pound fourth graders playing red rover so like i can't I just would give up. Would you? I wouldn't even hold the hand of the person anymore, right? I just would let go. Red Rover, Red Rover, let Cody Simon come over. I am not holding your hand for that, Nathan. No, I mean, at some point, probably after the very first person Red Rovered over, uh, you would physically be unable to play the game. Like, both you and the person next to you, if you were to, like, x-ray their forearms, it would just be, like, it would be like the good ice, right? It would just be like shards of just like little pieces of, of nothing floating around in there. And then the game would just be over. Like you would have to be at the emergency room. 
I do actually think I would want to play dodgeball more because I don't want to be, or I don't want their bodies to hit me. I'd rather get hit by a ball as much as I'm scared of the quarterback throwing a, a red ball at me. The thing, like the thing that would make me the most worried would be like a duck, duck, goose thing where it's a physical interaction where you're not supposed to tackle the person and duck, duck, goose. And then Jack Sawyer would be like, Oh, I, I didn't mean to tackle you, but I just, I couldn't help myself. And it'd be like, ah, oh, you know, like you'd be down on the ground with a broken rib and you weren't expecting it to get tackled, but instincts took over. So that, that might actually scare me the most. So it's definitely payball with the wide receivers. Oh, that's the one you would play. I think, I don't know. hundred percent. I, I guess they put that there because like you would have to be shooting them and they're elusive or something. I don't know. Right. But if, if they catch it, they're out. So it's 100%. Yeah, that's true. I, I thought that was like the shakiest one and maybe the one that doesn't even really belong on the list because every other one on this list, I could die. Like probably not dodgeball with the QBs if you're playing with the right kind of ball. But like trust catch, trust fall catching the offensive line. I'm just trying to I'm imagine sure, the man. person who trust falls, Dewan Jones. But I would. I, I don't think they would want to do that. Honest, I don't think Dewan Jones would look at me and go, I think that guy can catch me. No, he'd not want, it's going to hurt him as That's much true. as it hurts That's me. That's actually a good point, yeah. But then I do want my turn in that. I want to trust fall into Dewan Jones. Yeah, yeah. I want Dewan Jones to like catch me and then, and then carry me around like a baby. <laughs> Like it'd be like the Titanic good. scene where you just got your arms up in the air as he holds you up. Yeah. Oh, the things we discuss here. Well, that was <laughs> that threaded the, the football needle a bit. Like I said, we're going to take another break there. We're going to come back and talk Ohio State defensive questions. We're talk some special teams. We're going to talk some basketball and uh, probably some more nonsense. Stay with us on Buckeye Talk. All right, wrapping up here on the big Wednesday edition of Buckeye Talk. Uh, some questions about the defense from the 260. What did you guys make of the secondary play? I think they mean in the screen game, uh, spring game. Even if it was just a glorified scrimmage, I thought the DBs didn't look as lost as they did last year. Hopefully the fundamentals they've been preaching about are actually settling in for the inexperienced DBs. It's an interesting question because all we really saw were the inexperienced DBs. Josh Proctor was out there, but Seven Banks was not out there. Cam Brown, who is veteran but also – kind of inexperienced at the same time was not out there. Marcus Williamson was not out there. It was a lot of the younger guys. I thought they did hold their own for the most part. Cause if you think about how many times in this game, a receiver had to make a good play on a ball to make a catch that factors into how much, you know, how many completions they had, how many yards they had for, for the quarterbacks in this game. You had Ryan Watts getting a pick. Now there were some other instances. I thought Ryan Watts also got beat on at least one throw uh, the bombs over the top. Obviously, the receivers went and won those plays, although, uh, Stephen, you may disagree with me. I thought Garrett Wilson was pushing off a little bit on that bomb from Common Cord. He 100% first. was pushing off a little bit. It's Absolutely. okay, though. Hey, Rubbin's racing, to, to quote yeah. your favorite sport of NASCAR. But I thought, I thought <laughs> uh, Doug, as you wrote, as we talked about already, like there was – when I went back and watched the spring game, I think there definitely wasn't an indication of like, boy, these guys don't look like they might be ready. There was at least an indication of even if these guys can't – if these guys don't start, that probably means that the guys we didn't see are actually even better. I just thought a couple guys looked good, like turning and running with people, you know, that like, it's like, Some oh, okay. Things, yeah. All right. Well, Ryan Watts, he's like running with Garrett Wilson. He, he looks fine there. And Cam Martinez, you know, even a couple times when you got beat again, Cam Martinez on, on getting beat for the touchdown by Jackson Smith and Jigman, Kyle McCord, I mean, had great coverage. He was right where he was supposed to be. And I thought like, again, Cam Martinez is a guy who's still pretty new to defense. Look great. Lathan Ransom. 
again, had a little tip on a ball, drop into a zone coverage, read it, instincts, film study, do what you're supposed to do, make a play on the ball. So I just felt like that. And again, a reminder, we all know it, but it's like first team, second team, third team, whatever. Anybody that these DBs are covering in Ohio State practice are probably better than who they're going to play until they get to the playoffs. So like that's – Garrett Wilson is going to smoke people all year. So like it's okay, Ryan Watts. Like he got you that one time. It's okay. You'll be against most of the guys. That's not who you're going to cover. Yeah, Cam Martinez, I think, had prime example of that. That's a really good ball by Kyle McCord, and it's a really good catch by Jackson Smith and Jigba. But for the most part, that was really solid coverage downfield on a slot fade of, of all things. I thought the, the Watts interception, when I went back and watched it, it was obvious that Jack Miller just stared down that throw too much. It wasn't a good throw either, really, but I thought his eyes, I thought that was a good example of Ryan Watts probably reading the eyes. I think that throw needed to go outside to where it couldn't be picked off, but when it got left inside, Watts had just been able to follow it the whole time and make an easy interception there. We don't want to make too much out of one interception in a spring game, but it is a guy you know, flashing some awareness and, and making a play on the ball. So I agree. I think I came out of that. I mean, I have less question today than I did a year ago at this time about whether this secondary is good enough. As we talked about after the last pod, that was an interesting, that was a confusing question to consider for last year for a lot of reasons. But I, I think this, the ceiling on this defense is higher for at least for the secondary for, for 2021. I'm going to bet most of the people listening to this podcast who watched the spring game came away feeling that. Yep. Yeah. Right. You're just looking for a little talent. You're just looking for a little, okay, that guy's looks the part. He looks comfortable. He looks like he knows what he's doing. And I just, that's all you can ask for in the spring game. And I thought people got some pretty good reassurances from that. And don't forget, they've still got four and a half, five months from now to keep improving, keep working on stuff. I mean, it doesn't stop. They don't just go get um, frozen and whatever for the next four and a half months and then thrown out there for the season opener. There's still going to be some development that happens over the off season, or at least you would hope so. Um, this might be a tough question to ask on the fly for, if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't uh, prepare for the podcast, but how many current first round draft picks are in the defensive line room? That's from Andrew in the three, three Oh. And I think that's a question that probably is prompted by what we saw from Jack Sawyer. Although I think a lot of people might've guessed he had a pretty good chance to be a first round pick down the line anyway. Two, and I think we've had this discussion before, whether we think Zach Harrison's this year, I think, Doug, you said maybe he comes back for a senior year and then he's a first-rounder, but then Jack Sawyer's a three-and-done guy. But I, I know the person is asking because they think the answer might be like five, right? But I yeah, just don't know that – I'm not there on Tyreek Smith right now. I'm not there on Haskell Garrett right now. I'm not there on Teron Vincent right now, right? I mean, I'm not going right. to make that – we're not always making that jump on Mike Hall – or whatever, and JT Tumalau is not a Buckeye yet. So, but I will be surprised if Zach Harrison and Jack Sawyer aren't first-round picks. And I think if you're going to predict somebody as a first-round pick, that's how you have to think of it. Like, I'd be surprised if they're not. So, and again, you learn this. You keep learning things in life. Even when you're old, you can still learn. And it can be very hard at Ohio State the balance of I don't want to just assume everybody's a first round pick, but I don't want to pull back too far and be like, well, you know, you know, come on. And, the, and like the chase young thing was a reminder for me that like a teammate called him the first pick in the draft, like the, after one game. And it's like, okay, that's great. You're a loyal teammate. And it was like, no, that was, that was exactly right. So it's like, would I bet money 
that like Jack Sawyer is going to be a first round pick based off the spring game. I don't want to sound like a crazy homer, but yes, I would. Why wouldn't you? If he's healthy, why wouldn't you assume he's a first round pick? And, and Chase was a nice reminder of that. But I don't know that you can go, Steven, I agree with you too. You know, Tyreek Smith might be like the 37th pick in the draft, but man, it's hard to be a first rounder. So, and it might be, be different ways. <laughs> yeah, it might be different ways. Like Zach, so- Jack, uh, Jack, Jack Harrison, Zach Harrison might be a first rounder in maybe the 20s. And he's just one of a, a, a lot of defensive linemen who go that year, while Jack Sawyer's ceiling might be he's the first defensive guy taken off of the board. So, in the sense of being hyperbolic here and how offensive line development can sometimes work, and maybe. Paris does come back just so he can get two years of being a tackle. Could Ohio State in the, what is that, the 2024 NFL draft have the first non-quarterback offensive player and the first defensive player taken off, off the board? And it'd be Paris and Jack. Like they did in 2015 with Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. I mean, it's like, that sounds crazy for you to say that, Steven, this many years out. Except it just happened a couple of years ago, and like it's probably going to happen. Yep. Switching to special teams, we didn't really talk about this much in our spring game wrap up, or maybe didn't talk about it at all. From the five one three, will the Buckeyes add a kicker through the transfer portal? I deem it needed, therefore it is needed. Jake Seibert missed question. two field goals, one of forty, one of forty five. So he wasn't missing chip shots, but he was missing. And Ohio State needs a guy who can kick 40 and 45-yard field goals at some point this season. But it's also the spring game. So I don't know if my threat level is uh, boiling on this one. But I think if you were to go ask Ryan Day, he's going to tell you they need someone kicking better field goals than that. Yeah, but I think when you have an offense like this, it's a bonus if your kicker can make a 53-yarder like Hall Bill did two years ago. Alabama's kickers recently have struggled to make extra points. That's been like a thing for them. And yet here they are still winning national titles. So I think they'll be fine. Yeah, it is. There are like two basic premises that are arguable, which is like, right. One is it always amazes me how many teams in college football have awful kickers. It feels I'm always like you're a top 25 team. You seriously can't find someone better than that. It blows my mind. And the other thing is, I don't think it matters. Like the idea of like Ohio State needs to find a guy who can make a 45 yard field goal. It's like, do they? <laughs> I've thought, but I've thought it for years. And I and and now I can't think of the guy. Who's the guy? It wasn't Aaron Petrie. It was the other guy who made the field goal against Iowa the one year that was really a really big South African guy, Ryan Pretorius. Hugely important field goal, I think, in 2010 against Iowa. Ask the windmill Michigan State kicker who beat him in 2015 if, if the Spartans needed a good kicker that year. I get it. But I often – I have written so many times, well, you never know when a game's going to come down to a 43-yard field goal to win it. And it's like, when's the last time – I know Mike Nugent made a 50-yarder for Ohio State mm-hmm. to win a game like two decades ago. Generally, How often it, does it happen? What was I going to say? Generally, if a regular season game comes down to a field goal to win it for Ohio State, right now at this juncture of Ohio State history, you already consider that like a failure that it got to that point, right? If you're right. an Ohio State fan. like So I don't know if you even put the game on the kicker. But in Ryan Day's mind, he has to always, hey, I still got to win that game or lose that game. I need somebody who can kick that field goal. So, I, 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 I again, I just don't think it's like – 
again, like I just said a few minutes ago, you got four or five minutes to work on this. I, I don't think that Jake Seibert is a, a disaster because he missed a 40 and a 45 in the spring game. And I now, promise you that's not what they're going to the portal for. I would watch that because I think in the Sean Nurnberger tenure, I think they brought walk-on kickers on twice with him. Uh, and they still have Dominic uh, DiMaggio on the, on the roster. They got Jack Willoughby from Duke the one year to come be the kicker okay. while they had a scholarship kicker. And it was like, well, you can't have two scholarship kickers. And it's like, well, you just bring on a walk-on, and he replaces the scholarship kicker. Like that, that. And Nuremberger had some injury stuff, I know. I, I don't want to say it, all of this wrong. They definitely, at least once, at least with Willoughby, and maybe a second time, like brought in a kicker kind of unexpectedly. Because when they recruit kickers and punters here, it's a four-year commitment. Like I said, Jesse Mirko, get used to it. He's going to be here for 40 years. Jake Seibert. Like, should... He's going to be like 30 when he leaves. If, if things go according to plan for Jake Seibert, Jake Seibert should be their kicker for four and a half years because last year doesn't count. He could even – I mean, whatever. But it's not impossible that if they say, oh, this isn't good enough, that, like, somebody just shows up, some preferred walk-on who did it somewhere else and wants to come chase a ring or whatever. Like, I'm not saying they need it, but I'm saying I don't think that's impossible at all because – if they feel like, uh, and then you should give Jake Seibert another year to like get his stuff together and come back and we'll, you'll be the guy next year. But I wouldn't look for it, but they've done it before. I guess, I mean, I couldn't rule it out completely, but I, I think I would be surprised um, just because I, 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 I'm not overreacting to, to Seibert missing those field goals, but uh, he does have to be better. I guess that's the way I would say it. Uh, let's go to basketball. we got a couple basketball questions here. Steven from the 585. Uh, does well, like actually, let's do this from the 773 first. Uh, I like getting Joey Brunk as a one year stopgap at the five, but who are they looking at in 2022 recruits to fill the center spot after that? So, as you were kind of arguing the other day, they got a guy who can do what they need to do for one year, but it is still a long term hole. Who are they getting? Who are they pursuing to fill that? It is, and they've offered four centers so far. One's already committed, and that's Joe Herbal. He committed to Colorado. But other than that, Derek Lively, four-star guy out of Pennsylvania. Uh, Felix Okpora, I think I'm saying his name correctly, another four-star guy. Both of those guys in the top 40. And then Sean Phillips, number 82 player, another four-star guy out of Michigan, who's actually from – he's from the same city that uh, Amani Bates is from. I don't think they go to the same – Amani Bates. They don't go to the same school, but they're both from the same city in Michigan. Uh, so, that, so far, those are their guys. They've obviously got three commits in that 2022 class, but all those guys are perimeter guys. Uh, so, obviously, they'll be looking to add a big. But there's no five-star big that they're in the running for right now. And the other question was, and Doug, I think you may have want to chime in on this, but and it's probably deserves more than just a, a rapid fire. But does Chris Holman have a short leash considering his repeated recruiting misses? Fabulous one from the five eight five. No, no, I think I think short leash is is not the way you would term that. I mean, short leash to me is like if you don't have a good year, you might be gone. That's not where he is. That's not mm -hmm. where he is. He's got to break through at some point. To me, if they don't have a good year next year. And people are talking about them. I mean, everywhere you go, people are talking about them as potentially the best team in the Big Ten and a legitimate Final Four contender. If they fall significantly short of that, then I think maybe by for the next year, you would go maybe, but not even for sure that, maybe go into the next year thinking that way if they finish six in the Big Ten and lose in the first round of the tournament. So I, I just, I don't, as much as I'm, you know, 
have have criticized Chris Holtman. It is not a Chris Holtman is on the edge of being fired. It is Ohio State should be better than they are, which is a different conversation. And he hasn't had recruiting misses. He just hasn't held on to the top recruits that he's gotten. But uh, I understand you didn't get Efton Reed, but for the most part, it's like DJ Carton. That's a top 30 player in the country, borderline five-star, and you lost him to Marquette. Uh, you, Luther Muhammad was a top 50 guy. You couldn't hold on to him. Now he's at Arizona State. So it's been more of that than – oh, it, it's not a situation of, oh, there's been a bunch of five stars in the backyard and they're going everywhere else. Yeah, recruiting misses is a really – I always struggle with terms like that when, when people talk about recruiting, when fans talk about recruiting, frankly, just because I don't know what they always mean when they say recruiting miss. Are you saying that they tried to get a really good guy and ended up finishing second in the pursuit of him, which is something that I, I – even if it happens a lot, I don't know how much I hold it against that team. Like you were in position to potentially get a commitment, just somebody else really good along with you, who is also a really good program, got him instead. And it's usually different programs that are doing that. Um, are you saying that they are recruiting guys who then don't turn out to be good players? I don't think that's really the factor here. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think it, I don't know what I mean, what people mean by recruiting misses. And I don't know if they always know what they mean when they say it. Yeah. For me, a miss is it's a guy where it's no excuse. You didn't get that guy. And there was no better alternative because the, even with the Jackson Carmen miss, you got Nicholas Petit Frere, who was the number one tackle in that class and a five star in his own right. So at least you offsetted it. So a miss for me is JC Latham is a miss because not only did you not get the guy you were favored on for so long, there's no other tackle to make up for it. Or you were wrong about a guy. Yeah, or you yeah, recruited a guy, you kind of based a recruiting strategy around a guy and you were wrong about him. You misevaluated. Right. That happens sometimes especially in the transfer world. I really just think it's about the talent level of the roster, right? That's what we mean. Now, is that built through high school recruiting? Is it built through transfers in? All right, well, you got the high school recruits, then you had transfers out, whatever. Is the talent on the roster what it should be? And that's where I would argue that right now it's not. Because, and Malachi Branham might change that equation, but show me the pro. Show me the pro. Show me the difference maker. Show me the guy who can take over a game in the NCAA tournament. And I know EJ Liddell is, is a potential answer to that. No, no, no. You're I, right. No, no. You're right. So It's got to be Malachi. You're right. So I think and, – and I was having this conversation the other day. I don't think Dwayne Washington is quite, is quite there. If you tell me that next year the two best players are Liddell and Branham and Dwayne Washington's your third crunch time offensive option, I feel much better about that. I don't think Liddell and Washington as your two stars, which is what was the case this year, I don't think that's Ohio State-level talent. I think you're missing the top guy. That's like your second and third guys. Where's your one? If Branham changes that equation, then I'm here for it. But my main point is the equation has to be changed. Like, that's not good. So talent level, that's my main thing, which is why Reed would have helped the talent level immediately. It's a five-star guy coming in right now. So that's, that's where I am on this. And I don't – and, again, I don't think Chris Holtman would disagree with that. And I don't want to make it only about the NBA, but it sure as heck is partly about the NBA. And I know it's different, and I know guys are in the G League, and there's – I get it, but 
show me a pro because Ohio State should have one on the roster all the time. And the talent level should be a step above what it is right now. And maybe next year it will be, right, Stephen? Maybe next year it will be. If Branham is like a 15-point-per-game freshman All-American and Liddell and Washington both take a step up, then let's go, right? But I think like yeah. that's what it has to be. If it's not that, then I think it's still not good enough. Yeah, because at this, I mean, you're bringing everybody valuable back but C.J. Walker to this roster. And I, we'll get into this on a basketball product, obviously, but everybody's coming back and you're adding a top 100 guy I'm sorry, top 30 guy who might be an NBA player. There's no reason this team shouldn't be Final Four capable. And, and so, I, don't, I don't know exactly how they fit in the rotation, Stephen. But the Wheeler guy from Penn State and Brunk from Indiana, I, I understand will help, right? Whatever that means. Are they both in like a, are they both in like the eight man rotation? Probably or no? Is Brunk not? I think in a best case scenario, one of them is. I won't say which one right now because I gotta look at really look at it. But in the best case scenario, one of those guys is in your rotation. But both of those guys help you get through the season. But when you're adding, when that's like your big off season additions, and I understand yeah. transfers are part of the world. When your answers are like the six-point-per-game Penn State point guard who's like a defense-first guy who was like good on like a terrible Penn State team mm -hmm. and like a backup big man from Indiana, when we're talking talent level, like that's not where it's at to me. Like that is not how – now, if you're telling me, well, there are ninth and tenth guys or eighth and ninth guys, okay, okay. But then I'm also not going to get all excited in the offseason that you added them. No, no. I, the problem is the fact that – these moves should be, oh, these are the perfect moves for a team who maybe would step away from winning a national title. So if they would have gotten to the second weekend and lost in the Elite Eight, and then, like, you just tweaked a couple things here, these are tweaker moves for a team who's bringing back everybody, as I already said. But the problem is you have that added variable of they are not – they didn't get to the second weekend. So you can't look at it in that way, And so, which is probably part of the reason why you're going. These aren't moves to be jumping up for joy about when they should just be looked at as, okay, this team was in the Sweet 16, they were close, and they just lost to a really good team. So let's tweak a couple of things here and there. Now we're ready to rock. But because they didn't do that step, it's, look, it, you're looking at it the way you're looking at it. And it depends how you look at the Oral Roberts loss. You know, there's never, yeah. it's never great to lose to a 15 seed. But was that a one-off? Kyle Young's hurt. Max Acemus is awesome. Upsets happen. And the regular season was great and they were like ranked in the top 10 a lot of the time and they beat Illinois and they had a great game with Michigan, right? Is that a one-off or does what happened in the tournament affect your view of everything else that happened? And it was like, well, they did have a couple good wins. That's undeniable, but their schedule kind of was a little bit in the middle. They got some wins in there. They got ranked higher than they should have the losses at the end. They were actually a 12 and eight team. They finished fifth in the big 10 and I'm not going to give out a bunch of, you know, throw rose petals at your feet for finishing fifth in the Big Ten, especially when you lose in the NCAA tournament in the first round. So, like, that's where I am, that, I, that the loss to Oral Roberts was less of a one-off and more of a confirmation that the whole regular season wasn't actually quite as good as we thought it was in the moment. And people might disagree with that. So – um, but again, all these questions, I feel like next year is going to answer a lot of the stuff. Is the mm -hmm. talent level good enough? I think next year is a 
hugely important year because, you know, like you are, you're a veteran. You have the veteran. You have the freshman. You've got everything's established. It's going to be normal. There's opportunity, right? There's not really – there's not a Big Ten team standing in their way, Stephen, right, with like – Not really. I mean, Michigan you know, will be good, but it's – no. Like, Illinois lost Kofi. Uh, Iowa, Luca Garza just graduated. So, I mean, Michigan. Yeah. But other than that, not really. So, that's that's why it's, it's important. And, again, as I said before, I'm not going to sit here. You know what? This is not nine and three. I'm, I'm critiquing based on the now and saying next year they should be really – they need to be really good. So, maybe they will be. But it's if you looked at this from a football standpoint, Urban Meyer would always go the first two years on us and the third years on on me on on you. I know it's the years don't add up, but it's simple. Of when you look at this, this is like a five star recruit in their junior season. It's on you now, like yeah. everything you need. We've given you everything. Now go show it on the field. Agreed. Yeah, court in this situation. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> Uh, getting back to football, this is a very uh, Buckeye talk question because it, it combines football and nonsense. And even it's even a good depth chart question because it comes with an or. And I think we're maybe going to take the second half of the or because the first half, I, I don't know. It's from the 419, how many toddlers could Dewan Jones fight off before he became overwhelmed? Or what's the largest animal you could defeat in a fight? The first half of that, it's a fun image, but Dewan Jones is like such a nice, like, docile guy seems like when he's not on a football field i don't really want to put in the, the image of him like fighting off toddlers uh we don't need to like bet on that but what's the largest animal you could defeat in a fight i th- i asked the texter who sent this question was this prompted by the video that just came out earlier this week i don't know if you guys saw it of the family uh man and his wife are going out to their car for a vet appointment they the woman has a little cat in the cat carrier and they get attacked by a bobcat and the guy grabs the bobcat off of his wife and is holding it up. And you can hear him on like the, whatever their nest cam or whatever. He's like, it's a bobcat. And he's like holding it face to face and then takes it. People need, if you're not driving right now and you haven't seen this video, go search for it because then he takes the bobcat and like he's doing the hammer throw flings it across his front yard. And it just like, it turns out it was a rabid bobcat and it had to be uh, put down. But it, I thought that was maybe what prompted this question. And in fact, it was not what prompted this question. It was prompted by an even more terrifying video from like 10 years ago in Montreal of, a, of an eagle swooping down and nearly flying off with a child. So first of all, Doug, I think your fear of robots has perhaps been misplaced because it's jumped right past much of the animate animal kingdom that still poses a much more direct lethal threat to humankind. I'm not sure I could beat a squirrel in a fight. I'm not sure. Seriously? I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure. There's I, been a, a bat in my house that I have run from. Um one time my aunt had a groundhog and my friend had to come and trap the groundhog out from under her shed and yank it out and shoot it with a shotgun. Uh and I just stood there and watched. I was not gonna get me- mixed up with the groundhog. Like, I agree, Nathan. It's perhaps that rather than being fearful of the unknown robots, there might be 30 animals outside my door right now that could take me down. So thanks for that. I could beat a squirrel. Here's the thing. I could beat my puppy in a fight if I had to. I love my puppy. But if he turned on me, I think I could take him. 
and he I could beat my puppy, Buckeye talk. And he oh. and he um he darts out of our door chasing after squirrels. He begs for us to let him out so you can chase squirrels in our backyard. He never catches them. But when he if and when he does ever catch one, that squirrel's in trouble. So if he can take a squirrel I and I can take him, then I can take it's a transitive theory of 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 fights. Yeah, let let a squirrel try to scrape your eyeballs out and get back to me on transitive theory. Are you gonna gnash are you gonna put the squirrel in your mouth and tear its neck out with your puppy jaws? If not, then no, you are not more equipped to handle a squirrel than your dog is. But I'm just thinking like I could Can hold I be prepared the to go into the, the fight and just like punch him. That's the thing. Can I be prepared to go into the fight? Or is it just kind of sporadic where I'm just walking down the street and a squirrel yeah. attacks me? Are you the getting jumped by the squirrel or is it like in a boxing <laughs> Right. The element of surprise right. is important. <laughs> right. Because I've got to <laughs> – okay. Because if it's sporadic, first, I don't know, just because you got to find it. And squirrels are small and fast, so you got to locate where it's out of your body and then get a hold of it. And while you're trying to do that, it's moving around. Um, but if I have – if a squirrel was just kind of sitting in some grass and I just started to pick a fight with it, I could win, I could win that way. Yeah, so having watched this video, I now think I could probably – I don't know if I could take a bobcat, but I could, like, rope-a-dope a bobcat in a, in a fight. You know what I mean? Like, I could avoid the bobcat. But as far as having to, like, engage and beat it, I don't know. Like, this guy, this guy again, he tossed this thing like it was a, a sack of potatoes, and it just got right back up and, and ran off to keep looking for the cat that he was trying to eat before. I'll say I don't have kids – but I've, I feel like when you have kids, your adrenaline gets a little bit heightened when you have to protect your child. So if somebody was trying to harm someone's child, I feel like the father or mother could be any animal. It's like oh. the theory of like, could a, could, could a mom lift a car up to save her child? Yeah, I could kill a lion if it was trying to go after my kid. But if go. my kid was in the <laughs> house and a squirrel attacked me, I'd be dead. It, no, but is that the right answer or... Or is the right answer like tell your kids to avoid squirrels because you can't help them? Two things can be. Oh, true. they know that. They know that. Hey, <laughs> that, that doesn't have to be stated. <laughs> Go ask my kids right now. Could your dad fight a squirrel? They'd be like, No, we have guinea pigs. We made a video. It took me four weeks them for them to allow like the guinea pig to crawl on me for ten seconds, and I was screaming. What I do let the guinea. The I do let the guinea pigs uh, crawl on me now. They just. They just poop everywhere they just uh, they just poop everywhere our house is like a stable they have a pen in the side but they have hay in there and they like grab the hay and shake it around there's hay on the floor we're farmers basically now because we have two guinea pigs so congratulations sounds like that sounds like the life i would actually invite our texters if you want to send us a text 614-350-3315 what is the largest animal based on having seen us do videos do zoom things and maybe just having listened to us what is the biggest animal each of us could beat? I want, I want to hear some of those results, and maybe we'll share them down the line. And uh, from the 405, this is Carl in Oklahoma City. When you're channel surfing, what movie makes you stop and watch every single time? He says he has two, Shawshank Redemption and Tommy Boy. And I think actually both of those would be on my list. Definitely, like Shawshank is just inescapable, I feel like. And Tommy Boy, similarly, obviously, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. I would probably put Blues Brothers on there. For me personally, like anytime I'm, I'm rolling through, like I always seem to get stuck. If Blues Brothers is on, I have to sit and watch the rest of it. Who would be on your guys' list? 
Bad Boys 2, without question, I have to stop everything I'm doing. And this isn't a movie, but it's a good, when it's just Sunday, you're not doing anything but taking a nap. It's a good thing to take a nap to, and it scrubs the TV show. I don't know why. Even when I was 14 years old, I would just turn it on and take a nap to it. I don't know if the show is good or not. I just know I can take a nap to it. I have still actually never seen, I don't think, any of Bad Boys 2. Or Bad Boys 1. I don't think I've, any seen, I don't think I've seen any of the Bad okay. Boys franchise. All right. Well, that's... Before that's what we do. record again, you've got to rectify yeah. that. Oh, Mike Lowry. Come on, man. Oh, my gosh. This is a great movie. Yeah. Um, Wedding Crashers is that for me. I can't. Oh, that's good, yeah. I can't. It's, uh, yeah. She's still in the house? So that's – I can't. My wife – so we figured out my wife – like Vince Vaughn is a, is a big goofball, but my wife finds like Vince, Vince – I say Vince Young – Vince Vaughn very attractive. And it makes me realize that she's just attracted to smugness because he is just a smug SOB in everything he does. And 25 years, man. I mean, I'm not saying I'm Vince Vaughn, but I'm cut from the same smug cloth. So I, I, I can't stop on Wedding Crashers. I have to stop on Wedding Crashers. Underrated football movie, right? Like, I was first team all state. I can make it rain out here. They, they, I just, there was a story. Somebody wrote a story like breaking down the, Wedding Crashers football scene the other day and like why a couple years ago why it was so good it was it was a huge transitional movie for Bradley Cooper there were people who already knew about Bradley Cooper from uh he was on Alias if people remember the show Alias with Jennifer Garner and other people we were addicted um, to Alias we were all about Alias oh Alias was great and he was like the the nerd guy who got stuck in the friend zone which is kind of hard to believe when you think about it. it's like it's Bradley Cooper but then he did Wedding Crashers and that was kind of that was before the hangover so that was like his big flash kind of onto the national scene for people who maybe didn't see alias. And then, then he just obviously shot off into the stratosphere after that. But he, you can get, it's great when you look back and see those kinds of guys in those kind of supporting villainous roles. And it leads you, it shows you what they could be later on. Like, I think it takes something to be a really great villain and he's a great one in that movie. He is. And he sacked the heck out of Vince Vaughn. <laughs> he did sack the heck out of Vince Vaughn. All right, anything else before we wrap up? No, I think the death chart was surprisingly good. Not surprisingly, because yeah. not a bunch changed, but I was impressed how much you sort of got some of the second team stuff. Um, but I think people, I think, I think it's a pretty good death chart, actually. And I, and I am looking forward to, you've been sending some ideas along. We've, we, I'm, I'm looking forward to, once we sort of get through the draft and some of the stuff, putting the Buckeyes in context again. Now that we have, I think, a pretty good handle on what they are, we can start going around. We got to do some research because that's not like I've watched a ton of spring games. Michigan didn't even have a spring game. They don't even, they didn't let fans see it. I don't think anything, but evaluating sort of where some other big 10 teams are, you know, with their quarterbacks, with their defenses, you know, with their young players. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I have a great handle. It was such a weird year. We're going to, you know, there's less to go on. Right. And then, and again, mm -hmm. this goes back to the transfer thing. It's like, well, there were guys on the team last year, but now guys are moving in and out. It's just going to be harder to get a handle because it's going to be a reset. Every, the whole sport, both football and basketball, it's going to be more of a total reset year after year. And it's going to be harder to say, oh, yeah, I remember last year this, because not only are you losing guys to the pros, but you're losing guys to transfers. And so it's time to dig into some Big Ten stuff soon. You know, one of the things I threw out was like, hey, everybody's doing one of these like super team, these super conference things. They're taking off of what, what happened in the European soccer. Like, should should we do something like that? And now it sounds like that's maybe falling apart already. Like, is is there some kind of catastrophe happening with that? Like, it's all unraveling or something? I don't know. But like, 
Uh, I think we're going to have more of that discussion in the summer, though. Like, go, go back to the tiers discussion we had before. Did any of that change in the past year? We look at anything from a new perspective from last year. I agree with you that, like, we're getting into a, a point where now we know what we know about this team. We're not going to really see much again until July. But now what's, like, the context of everything? Putting it in kind of the national and within the Big Ten, like putting things into context again. I am not really looking forward to the whole – I don't like when – European soccer can cram it. I could give two hoots about European soccer, and there are too many sports writers who love European soccer, just like they love the Masters. But it's like when they have the Masters, when the, net, when the Masters changes the dog leg on the 14th hole, every college football writer doesn't say, oh, what if every college football team changed their dog leg? But every time European soccer does anything, everybody wants to apply it to American sports. They're on the other side of an ocean for a reason. Let them do what they teams. want to do. They can, I don't care what they do. But I've, the relegation, people love to talk about relegation with college football. And what if the two worst teams in the Big Ten were in the MAC and the two best back teams uh-huh. were in the Big Ten? I hate it. It's never going to happen. I don't want to do that. And if we're going to do super team, what if you had a super team league? It's like, what are we going to do? Just the 12 best programs. And by the way, the great sin – that everybody freaked out about is that the best teams in Europe want to play each other all the time? Is that the big sin? Oh, no! Every game will matter. Every game will be competitive. What about we little Worcestershire? They haven't been good since Queen Victoria was a baby, but they might win a title once every 200 years. You got to give them a chance. What is wrong with good teams playing good teams all the time? So, like, if we're going to do Super League, oh, what if Ohio State just played the 11 other best teams in the, in the country every year and that was their 11 games? It's like, I don't know. It would be awesome. Am I supposed to sit around and defend, oh, uh, Rutgers might beat them once every 80 years. You got to screw the underdog. Let the underdogs play each other so they can win sometimes. Is that, that's what everybody freaked out about? Oh, all the mean good teams are trying. Yes. Well, they would they still want be every underdogs. game to matter. And guess what? Money rules the world. I'm sorry money rules the world. My God, did you just figure that out yesterday, Europe? So everybody freaked out. Everyone's feelings got hurt. And now the league of all the good teams is dead. Is that it, right? I don't know. I'm, I honestly don't follow it that close. I'm, I'm, I don't pay attention to soccer Sometimes I feel all. like I'm – yeah, sometimes I feel like I'm one of the few uh, journalists left in the Big Ten that doesn't follow European soccer yeah. like it's a religion. But uh, if, if you, I, there's some of them tweet more about soccer than they do about anything else. And even their teams they cover, I don't get it. But anyway, for those of you who love soccer, I hope that we didn't end on a sour note. But uh, keep coming back for more Ohio State football and basketball and nonsense talk. I'm Nathan Baird. He's Doug Maurice, And he's Stephen Means. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>